radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 50. Yay! Big 5-0. Big arbitrary milestone on Friday, September 24th from Milwaukee. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And we're going to celebrate our 50th episode by discussing the recent Wall Street Journal's investigation into tons of leaked documents from Facebook. But first, the headlines. The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. First up in our big 50th day celebration, some good news. Good news? <laughs> is it good news? Is it good news? I don't think, like, for the world as a whole, it's good news. I Okay, I thought it was ironic news. It's an update to a story from last week, our main story from last week, on the run for governor of Rebecca Cleefish. Clayfish. Rebecca Clayfish. Cleefish. Cleefish. <laughs> Cuttlefish. <laughs> Crayfish and cuttlefish. Yes. But yes, former lieutenant governor and now GOP governor candidate Rebecca Clayfish has tested positive for COVID-19 while on the campaign trail. Fantastic. Who knows how many people she spread it to. She is vaccinated. I think that might actually reduce her chances of winning as a Republican, which is probably good. She's also a cancer survivor, as we talked about last week. So she is at higher risk. She had to go through chemotherapy. So that would probably explain why she she actually got vaccinated. She is still on the, oh, well, you know, if you don't get vaccinated, that's fine. That's your decision train, which is like, no, you're actually causing the spread of this pandemic. It's not just your personal decision. That's the problem. Well, and this is the funny thing about it, because someone's personal decision infected her with COVID. Freedom. Gotta have your freedom. By all accounts, she is doing well. No symptoms that we mentioned. I did find it interesting that she didn't actually announce that she had COVID. It was the the uh, Journal Sentinel the biggest paper in Milwaukee here that contacted her because she had canceled some events and they were informed that was because she was quarantining. Yep. She also joins Ron Johnson as COVID positive Republicans from Wisconsin. I heard as another update. I'm ready. To a previous story. Yeah. Andre Jacques, uh, the guy that we oh, talked yeah. about on previously. Him. Yeah. He, I think he had, ju- he's just in rehab now. He was in the hospital for a month with COVID. On a ventilator. Anti-vaxxer who has voted against mask mandates in Wisconsin. Yep. Almost died of covid and who knows what kind of health problems he's gonna have going forward he has to go to rehab after yeah coming out of the hospital on a ventilator for a month that's probably not going to could be, you imagine being on a ventilator for a month right that's not going to be the most positive outcome that you can have after doing everything you possibly could as a lawmaker to spread covid and it nearly kills you and if you weren't on free taxpayer paid government health care you would now be destitute but don't worry everybody it's a personal choice (laughs) and it's a more covid related news an fda advisory panel has rejected pfizer's offer for booster shots but pfizer also said that has covid19 works in kids of 5 to 11 years old so let's break both of these down so in the first story this was a panel that was voting on booster shots for everyone yes it was a it was a plan proposed by pfizer and i think in in partnership with the Biden administration. And they voted that down uh, 2 to 16. I believe there's 18 members of this panel. Correct. And they basically said that there's not enough evidence that a third shot would do anything to stop the spread of the pandemic. That's not saying it wouldn't be effective. And they still do recommend, again, anyone over 65, anyone that is at high risk should get a booster. That passed 18 to nothing. But I think they're just trying to to limit the amount of shots that the first world countries like the United States. Well, that's specifically what they talked about. Right. Cited. Are going to take away from the rest of the world. Right. Because I think, was it like 80 some percent of doses now in the entire world have gone to first world countries like United States and the UK and like Western Europe. Canada. Yeah. Mm. So that's a big deal. And yeah, there this wasn't necessarily like a health related decision. It was more about political scarcity. I guess and you could say. Yeah, what is the best use of the vaccine dose? Because I mean even right now, if we have more vaccines in the United States, that doesn't mean they're gonna get used right now either. We're already throwing away tons of vaccines that are just not being used. And the same types of people that would get booster shots are also being more responsible and not really spreading the disease as much as everyone else 
else anyway. So what are you getting out of that? Doesn't stop me from wanting one, personally. I'd much rather have it go to countries that don't have these resources to begin with anyway. So I do understand that decision. Not with these two articles, but I did see like another result about how the J&J vaccine was up to 90% efficacy after a second dose or a booster shot, I believe. Did you hear anything about that? I haven't seen any numbers specifically. Uh, That's the one that I think had 80%? No, it was like in the 60s. It was like 65 or 68% and then jumped up to like 90% efficacy after a booster shot, which basically turns it more into like a Pfizer (laughs) vaccines. So, I mean, at least it's something. And what booster shots would do is basically, again, stimulate your immune response and have your body create even more antibodies that would fight COVID if you were ever to be infected. So if you're likely to be infected, it's probably a good idea to have all those extra antibodies because your protection does wane over time, studies are finding. But again, if you're going to get a lot more benefit for the world as a whole and a much more likely outcome of ending the pandemic by making more shots available to other countries rather than a third shot for people in first world countries, then that's what we should do first and then worry about boosters after. But now here's where it gets interesting, though, is the recent announcement that Pfizer had where now their vaccine works in kids from 5 to 11 years old. So this is not FDA approved yet. They're actually seeking both FDA approval and emergency authorization, if I understand that correctly. Yeah, they do not have either. No, they don't have either, but I think they applied for both. This comes after a mass amounts of testing in children from 5 to 11, where they gave much lower dose them to make sure they could have the same amount of efficacy without basically ODing them. Turns out they have about a third of the typical vaccine from teenagers to adults. And then after the second dose in children from five to 11 years old, they have the same amount of antibody levels to fight COVID as their teenage counterparts. And this obviously would come as good news to parents who have kids in school. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, this is big that is right now. school age, you know, yes. five, that's kindergarten. So if we can stop or halt the spread, spread of COVID in schools, that's going to go a long way to helping stop the spread overall. I totally agree. But now we're going to have issues where people are going to talk about, think about the children arguments. They're going to have the whole, like, we're going to have the whole... The standard anti-vaxxers. This has always been the target. But it's, it's going to be now where we're talking about adults getting mandatory vaccines in workplaces. Now we're going to shift that down to if you're going to go to a public school. So just like every other vaccine? Yeah, but that's the argument that's going to come up really soon because of this. So again, the standard anti-vax because this has always been an issue in public schools. (laughs) Yes. Moving on, let's talk about the infrastructure bill. Let's do it. It's going to happen. We're going to get Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin on board. Things are looking great. There are no (laughs) issues, no drama. So this is, I have an issue where this is being played in the media as the progressives halting the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Yeah, okay, when is that ever new, though? It's always the progressives' fault when something goes wrong. And that's, it's just not true. No. The reason they voted for the bipartisan infrastructure bill in the first place was with the understanding that also the reconciliation build back better plan, the $3.5 trillion plan, would also pass. Yep. So that was the understanding from the beginning. And now we're seeing reports about how Manchin is already kind of wavering it and cinema is just like, nah, I'm just going to tank the whole thing. And this, the the $3.5 trillion, which was negotiated down already from $6, about six trillion right, yeah. by Bernie Sanders in the the budget committee that he's the chair of. We've This is where all of the really popular things that benefit the American people reside. The $1.5 trillion bipartisan bill is mostly just money going to construction and tech companies to fix roads and bridges. Yes, it's important. It should happen. But also, we need to provide for health care, for child daycare. How important is that right now with everyone trying to return to work? With rural broadband infrastructure, with tuition-free community college, a big proposal of Joe Biden's presidency. Right. Well, and that's 
that's what I think infuriates me about this whole thing is we hear over and over again about how mansion and cinema are just not willing to pay the price for these things. However, well, a big part of this bill, sorry to cut you off there, is letting the government negotiate prescription drug costs. And cinema said she was going to tank it because she's one of the biggest recipients of pharma money. Yeah. Her and Joe Manchin. So, yes, that's why they're against these because they're in the pockets of lobbyists who don't like those provisions in the bill and that's what would actually pay for most of it. if the whole problem is the money that is a big pay for in there yep. is saving the government money because they would be able to negotiate drug prices like the rest of the world does yep and it's also it's not just 3.5 trillion dollars right now it's 3.5 trillion dollars over 10 years that's nothing compared to the budget well and what drives me even crazier is that this agenda has been polling so well when you actually break it down to each individual issue people want this stuff it's like a no-brainer and i'm not even just making like you're seeing both republicans and democrats hitting like 60 and 70 percent approval of this type of stuff in very red areas these are the popular bills that people want because it benefits them this is good government working for the people well it's supposed to be at least right and i heard the they talked about elizabeth warren's plan and she had something similar in her agenda but she said before she did any of that she would have to get money out of politics because that is the biggest issue that's the reason why these types of bills will never pass and it seems like she was right yeah the first thing that joe biden and his administration should have done is working on removing that influence of all those big corporate lobbyists who have bought and paid for our government and can do whatever they want and i heard from multiple different sources right now or like or democrat sources saying how ridiculous it is that Democrats will tend to sell a bill to you with how much they're going to pay for it. And the whole rationale behind that is saying, why are we starting as our main selling point for whatever we're going to do, the price tag, and not actually showing people what we're actually going to bring to the table instead? What do you think about stuff like that? Because whenever we talk about, and we're, we're kind of guilty of this as well, where when we talk about spending bills and investments, we talk about how much we're investing into this. And we, we've thrown around the $3.5 trillion before many different times i don't think of government spending as a negative that's why i think you tell me it's a 3.5 trillion dollar bill yes i'm gonna need to know what's in it because i hope it's not just a bunch of corporate giveaways sure but do you think for the average independent voter do we do democrats need to change up their messaging obviously it seems like they do because there isn't this groundswell of outrage like there should be coming from the american people because of this exact situation that we're in right now sure so now to make things even worse is that we're on a time crunch. The proposed deadline to when they were going to vote on the bipartisan bill is Monday, mm-hmm. the 27th. If the Build Back Better plan does not pass by then, progressives are likely not going to vote for the infrastructure bill, which would kill it. I personally think that it won't even be brought up on the 27th because I don't think that Nancy Pelosi is going to bring up a bill for a vote that she knows is going to fail. And I don't think that the Build Back Better bill, the budget reconciliation bill, will have been passed by then. I just don't see the corporate Democrats moving on this. Well, and make things even worse on top of that, we also have to deal with raising the debt soon, because if that's not raised by a month, you already have economists saying that we're going to have some kind of economic decline or even a collapse if we don't get this taken care of. And Republicans are likely to just filibuster that anyway and not even let it come up for a vote. And we're also trying to avoid a government shutdown again. Because the Republicans will do absolutely anything to tank a Democratic presidency. So what do you think Democrats should do? Now, I don't want to say it because I know what you think Democrats should do. What do you think progressives should do? I think they need to stay their ground on this. You think they need to tank the bill? Yes. If the Build Back Better bill does not pass, they should not vote for the bipartisan bill. That's what they said they were going to do, and they need to stick to that. Otherwise, they lose all credibility and all leverage that they have. Well, and like you said before, usually when situations like this come down, it's always blamed on progressives. And usually it's expected that the progressive caucus or progressive wing of the party is the one that folds and gets in line with the rest of the party. And they need to make it known that they are not tanking anything. They want they're the only ones that want both to pass. 
pass. And this is Joe Biden's agenda. This is what he put in his campaign for. Yeah, he campaigned all on the, it. The green energy stopping climate change. All the climate change stuff is part of the budget reconciliation bill. And it which all also really well. Joe Manchin is a climate change denier, probably due to the fact that he's from a heavy coal state in West Virginia. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So we're bringing more updates on that probably next week when things get crazy. So next up, let's talk about the images that are coming out of Del Rio, Texas, a border town in which up to 15,000 Haitian migrants, refugees, were living mostly under a bridge Yes, uh, on the other side of the border in tent cities. And there was recent video of some of the people crossing the, the Rio Grande, the river, into America being whipped and chased away by border patrol agents by border on, hor- patrol. on horses right yes yeah so the image of white government agents on horseback whipping poor black refugees obviously not a great look and drew a lot of outrage and ire even from president biden himself my question is i and i will say this on this one point this is going to this might scare you a little bit i agree with tucker carlson oh no <laughs> what did Tucker say? He says, what else are they supposed to do? They're Border Patrol agents. <laughs> what did we expect? <laughs> And I say, yes, exactly. Why do we only care when there's video? What did we think Border Patrol agents did? Treat people fairly and humanely? Like they're human beings and not garbage? Is that what we thought? Clearly that's not the case. Well, I read in a history book from Texas that they're really, really nice. <laughs> so yes, these Border Patrol agents were terrible. And they've been, some of them have been suspended since this became public. Well, some of them, yeah, but not, and, like, not nearly as many as it should have been. I guarantee you this is not anything different than no. what they do every day. No, this is 100% again optics PR disaster. That's all it is for them. Once they can hide it again, they're going to go right back to it. I don't think, they certainly didn't care. They knew there were people there with cameras. They weren't trying to hide it because they didn't think that anyone would care. This is their job. They treat foreigners like they're a threat. That's what they're supposed to do, which is why we need to get rid of them. But not even just a threat, but subhuman straight up. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're definitely Definitely not treated at, in any way like they're human. There are people bringing food back to the tent city. They had like takeout containers in bags that they were bringing back. They went to Mexico to get food and they were coming back. There's been these this huge migration of Haitians from South America that a lot of them had been there since the earthquake in Haiti and had been working in and around Brazil around the time that the Olympics were hosted there. Mm-hmm. And after they didn't have any work once the Olympics left, they have been in South America since then. And because of the recent earthquake and assassination of the president of Haiti, that has changed changed the status of Haitian immigrants that are already in the United States, giving them special extensions because they didn't want to send them back during this time of political upheaval and catastrophic events there. And that has created a lot of misinformation and an opportunity for cartel members in Mexico and human traffickers to spread this misinformation among the Haitian immigrants that were in South America and Mexico that, hey, now's the time. If you want to go to the U.S., they're giving special exemption for Haitians. And if you want to go now, you know, just pay me now because tomorrow it might be too late. And they're getting these people to buy into this and they're charging them, you know, everything they've had that they've built up over these last couple of years to take them to the U.S. border and then leaving them there. And meanwhile, we're whipping them with the reins of horses and kicking them into the water and telling them their country are garbage, which is basically what one of the Border Patrol agents was filmed as saying. Yep. Now, before I read this article that you linked about Tucker Carlson, are you sure you want to talk about how you agree with him here? I said on that one point (laughs) about uh, this not being anything new for the Border Patrol agents, and of course they acted like this. Is this this the whole, well, well, Hitler was a good painter (laughs) argument. Is that what I'm getting right now? His dog liked him. Yeah. (laughs) 
So right after Tucker Carlson said the obvious, he also went on a racist tirade. Again, spreading the same great replacement theory. Again. According to an article by the Daily Beast on Wednesday night, Tucker Carlson declared that the Biden administration is intentionally trying to, quote, change the racial mix of the country through immigration. Um, Here's a quote from him on the show. In political terms, this policy is called the great replacement. The replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. They brag about it all the time. But if you dare to say it's happening they will scream at you with maximum hysteria yeah so pushing the neo-nazi white replacement theory literally again well again the first time legacy americans are you kidding me right now yeah because you know we were all originally americans right we're all from this country but uh, do you think honestly and i can't even imagine what is going on in tucker carlson's head anyway do you think that's actually like a legit white nationalist thing he's trying to go for or do you think he's just talking about some kind of nonsense frat boy lingo no it's definitely white nationalism he and remember his writer his head writer for That's years true. was a confirmed white nationalist who posted incredibly racist stuff on white nationalist message boards and that's the guy that was writing tucker carlson's material for years they were friends he knows what he's saying and he knows what his audience wants again remember we read in a previous show that white nationalists listen to tucker carlson and take notes and he knows that that's yeah. this is who he's preaching to this is awful and don't get me wrong too jason where we can talk about how there is an actual issue going on with the haitian immigrants we can talk about that but the idea that again they, these are some invading forces that are coming in to change our way of life is just and especially intentionally are coming to change our way of life because of people who want to somehow change the racial makeup here to gain power is insane so actually i want to talk about the Haitian refugees for a minute. All right, let's do it. So as I just mentioned, these are people that are horrible victims of circumstance across more than a decade now that are victims. Well, there are literally quotes in the article that we'll have linked in the show notes about how if they go back, they will get killed on site. And I don't even, that's even beside the point. I don't care if you're getting, and a lot of these people are being deported back to Haiti. We're seeing video of people being pushed off of airplanes in Port-au-Prince, even though, again, they haven't lived there in like a decade and their kids weren't born there and everything else. But beyond that, let's talk about America's history with Haiti and why we might owe something to the people of Haiti and why taking in 15,000 refugees should be the least that we owe Haiti. Let's talk about it. You know about the Louisiana Purchase? I do. Largest purchase of land, or largest expansion of land ever in American history. I heard it was a really great thing from that same Texas um, history book. Including Wisconsin. Every, like most of the west of the Mississippi comes from Louisiana Purchase from France. Got that land very, very cheap because of the slave revolt, successful slave revolt, the only successful slave revolt in the history of the world in Haiti. France owned Haiti. They were using the Louisiana territory as farmland for Haiti. That's where they were growing the food because all they were growing on Haiti was sugarcane. When the French lost Haiti, they didn't need the Louisiana territory anymore. That's why they sold it to the U.S. They needed money more than anything at that point. We made the Louisiana Purchase in 100% thanks to the successful slave revolt on Haiti, which also, if you want to look at what happened after that slave revolt and the fact that they actually had to pay reparations to their slave masters, the people that had owned them and their descendants to gain their freedom. And that's one of the reasons why they've been in financial ruin ever since. There's also that. But even if you don't care about that, we also stole an island from Haiti. <laughs> in the, I believe it's the 1850s. I could be wrong about the date, but there is a law that is still currently on the book where anyone could claim an island that had guano on it. It's the Guano Island Act. Back when 1856, there you go. So Navassa, right. Navassa Island, the Navassa Island was illegally claimed by the United States because of its very rich supply of guano, bird guano, which is used as fertilizer at the time. And just the value of that bird guano that we stole as a resource from Haiti would be worth hundreds of billions of dollars today, much less than it would cost to take in those 15,000 Haitian refugees. 
RPGs. I would say we owe it to them. I'd agree with that. Also, it's just being decent people, too. And, and also living up to the American standard ideals, that the American dream. Yeah. Yes. There's also that. And finally, Jason got kicked out of a room for trolling. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> I was threatened to be kicked out. Oh, sorry. And- Jason got threatened to be kicked out of a, a YouTube chat room for trolling. Well, that chat room was on how the Arizona audit just finalized and came in. So, as we talked about previously in the Arizona Fraudit episode, the Cyber Ninjas of Florida were conducting an audit of Maricopa County, which is the county where Phoenix is located, heavily Democratic county in Arizona, specifically on the Senate race that was won by a Democrat and the presidential race, which was, of course, won by Joe Biden. That, like, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. The recount yielded 99 additional votes for Biden, for Joe Biden and 261 fewer votes for Donald Trump. What? No way. Now, this is the third recount and second-hand recount of that election, so no real surprise there. And the reason I was in a YouTube chat room, I was in, I was just watching a YouTube stream of someone watching this recount, and they turned out to be, like, super conservative. Conspiracy which, theorists? Yeah, they were watching it on that, uh, what is that, RBSN Oh, yeah. Station? Whatever, yeah. whatever that is. The Mike Lindell And I didn't, stuff. like, when I first joined, I had no idea. I just was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll watch it here. I was just looking for a stream sure. to watch this. Yeah. And then it turned out to be like cra- crazy. Trumpers. Yeah, conservative. Like they were super hardcore. So I, of course, had to chime in and refute Did almost you just everything. Watch their they reaction said. as they just slowly learned the truth. Yeah, they were at first, they were like, yeah, I know there's a lot because the, these results had leaked last night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were like, oh, I know there's a lot of uh, stuff out there, but let's see the real. I think they were hoping that it would be different. Okay. And and it, of course, wasn't. It was exactly what was reported. Somebody needs to tell Donald Trump because his statement said that it was wrong, even though it matched perfectly. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah Donald Trump doesn't know what he's talking about. Big surprise there. <laughs> But yeah, they did not appreciate any dissension to their right-wing politics, and that was some fun. I couldn't stay the whole time. It Literally, we were getting ready to do this podcast while that was still going on, but it was a good time. Uh, they were definitely desperate to cling on to anything to say, well, well I'm sure. see, this proves it. Like There was so much nonsense in the couple hours that I watched. It's the motivated reasoning. We'll ignore the 99% of evidence that goes against what we want and then just attach ourselves to this 1% of evidence that we think proves our point. So even though the actual vote counts did not go the Republican way, they still, the the cyber ninjas and their audit team definitely tried to sow as much doubt about election integrity as they possibly could. Do you know how? By lying. (laughs) Um, And and speculation. (laughs) So if you look at the slides that are seeing with the nice cyber ninja logo, which is very cute. Whoever they got to design that. Got that Everything fiber. they said had the word potentially in front of it. Potentially this many voters were dead. Potentially this many voters voted twice. Oh, really? Despite spending, what, the last four or five yeah, months, I think five months investigating this and millions and millions of dollars, they can't say anything definitively? That's awfully strange. And the one definitive thing they have is not in their favor. Correct. The actual thing that did not say potentially, that was just, this is how it is, was, yeah, Donald Trump lost. But now, did they find the bamboo? No report of any bamboo or panda fur from what I saw. I was hoping for some bamboo. So now, what do you think this means for other attempts? Absolutely nothing. It's still going to, they're still going to push the same narrative they were pushing before this, and they're going to keep trying to pass voter suppression laws. I mean, you can say it's because of this, but they were doing this before, too. No, I agree because I think this is how conspiracy theories work. It doesn't matter how far you push the goalpost when something happens and it discredits your theory. You just push the goalpost further. That's how we've seen it with 9-11 truthers. That's how we see it with anti-vaxxers. That's how we're going to see it with this as well. The only thing I can hope for is that because of this, over time, it'll just create less traction in mainstream circles. And this keeps getting pushed farther and farther to the fringe. That's my only hope. But as we'll talk about in our main segment probably not going to happen but joe biden won again he did 
That was really a productive segment, wasn't it? It's hard to get any word in with this clown. Last week, the Wall Street Journal dropped or began dropping a series of articles and podcasts called the Facebook Files. This is basically the results of a long-term investigation that an investigative team led by reporter Jeff Horowitz looked into leaked Facebook documents and internal memos and presentations and research to show many different things, but mostly that Facebook was not being honest. And needs heavy government regulation. Yeah, we'll get to all that. I know you want to talk about that. So what I wanted to do was go through some of this because I know for a lot of people they can't even access the Wall Street Journal. I want to go through this some of the main findings that they had here and we'll discuss what we can do potentially about these things and Jason kind of gave away the game already. <laughs> the biggest thing that needs we're to basically going to try to regulate but let's go through some of these key findings shall we? So basically if you haven't already seen this you really should. It's I think what four or five articles and then five currently. We're really only going to talk about the first four. Correct. And I think it's still it's still releasing. ongoing. Yeah. yeah. So it's five current articles. We're going to talk about the first four and then four current podcast episodes. Uh, I think on their podcast, The Journal. This is probably some of the best journalism I've ever seen coming from the Wall Street Journal. So you should really check into this if you haven't already. We'll link in the show notes below. But I want to start with article number one. It was their first key takeaway where they found that Facebook actually has a VIP list of users and accounts that don't actually have to follow their terms of service. This is under a program that's currently called CrossCheck. XCheck. And used to be called shielding the only times i've actually said x check while i was trying to read the articles i'm like it's cross check and i hate (laughs) that i could never figure it out mentally this was originally found in a document labeled acp or attorney client privilege where they have this list of accounts that are basically not under the same scrutiny as everyone else despite the fact that facebook will tell you over and over again that all of his users are treated equally many many documents prove that they are not at all and this was known as the whitelist by their own own documentation. Yeah, it's a network terminology. Generally, trusted sites or addresses or people become whitelisted, whereas they don't have to follow a lot of the firewall rules or things like that. So standard tech terminology there. And then basically, Facebook employees were then instructed to add people and accounts that were either newsworthy, influential, popular, or PR risky to this whitelist. Anyone who, if they did anything to their account, a lot of people would be upset essentially right basically and while this may sound like a trusted few number of accounts it was actually kept growing from the 2016 to 2020 era now holding around 5.8 million accounts that do not follow these rules and interestingly some internal audit records that were released in this leak revealed that there may be no way to know who is all on these various whitelists. Some of them are even hard-coded into the Facebook software. And this means that rank-and-file Facebook employees are unable to remove content from those users. They have to take the issue to higher-ups to get approval, which obviously can take some time. And let's talk about one of the worst examples of that that was in the Facebook Files article. Some of you may be familiar with the Brazilian soccer star Neymar. He is worldwide, internationally, probably, what, the third most famous soccer player in the entire world after Messi and Ronaldo. He got into some trouble back in 2019. Should have gotten into some trouble. That's true. He should have gotten into more trouble. Let's put it that way. Back in 2019, where he posted a video in which he shared the name of a woman accusing him of rape and shared nude photos, and I think a video as well, on his Facebook page. Clear violation of the terms of service in which, in normal terms, would be an immediate permanent deletion of the material and potentially even of the Facebook no, account. No, d- definitely that's, 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 100% yeah. deletion of your Facebook account right, you're if right. you do that. You're right. I'm sorry. Yes. Not just deletion of the material, but your Facebook account is you're gone. gone. You're gone. Forever if you do that. Well, and that makes sense. We've been arguing that for what? How many years now where Facebook has the right to get rid of pornographic images? They don't seem appropriate for their website because they don't want to turn into 4chan, basically. Sounds good. Except that didn't happen with Neymar. The post was up for almost a day despite facebook employees being aware of it immediately due to the special account status of that popular athlete and like we said before the moderates couldn't do anything with it they couldn't actually take it down because he was protected by crosscheck and because of that over the course of the day it was up it received over 50 million views before it was finally removed and it also resulted in mass harassment and threats to the victim which is horrifying yeah well that's terrible it further ruined her life neymar 
was never removed from Facebook. No. Because he's a very popular athlete with a lot of followers who would be upset at Facebook and might delete their accounts if he was removed from the platform. And it's all about the money, which I'm going to say it's gonna be a over trend. and yeah. over and over again as we go through these articles. Another bad example that was brought up in the articles was Trump when he talked about the BLM protests and riots when he said, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. You probably remember hearing this and all the chaos that surrounded that tweet and Facebook message. A Facebook manager noted that an automated system designed by the company to detect whether a post violated its rules had actually scored Trump's post at a 90 out of 100, indicating that it had extremely high likelihood that it violated the platform's rules, which basically means if it was a normal user, again, it would be either immediately taken down automatically and potentially banning the account. And of course, it didn't happen. And internal documents also showed that while many government officials were on that whitelist, all candidates were not, which gave special treatment to incumbents in state and local races. Which is a big deal. I mean, and it, as it if they s- needed any more help. Right. And now, granted, the Facebook spokesperson said they were trying to address that. And they you also hear this as a theme throughout, too, where at least according to their internal documents, the Wall Street Journal team found out that they were at least trying to solve these problems, but were not coming close to actually solving or doing anything to help. So let's keep that in mind as well, where there was some action taken to resolve this issue, but nowhere close to actually being helpful, though. But especially when we are in a country that is such a stranglehold with minority rule. Imagine trying to challenge somebody who has such a better platform than you do. You mean political minority rule? Yeah, sorry, that's what I mean. All of this, my biggest takeaway from this first article is that everything Facebook does just upholds the structure of our society. Everyone who already has the power is granted more power by the Facebook rules. And anyone who has less power is granted less power by Facebook. So they're just further upholding our stratified society. And I would say that revelation isn't surprising. But they claim that that's not what they're doing. Well, and this is going to be the issue with a lot of what we're talking about right now. It's not necessarily that you're going to be surprised by what you hear happens. It's going to be that Facebook has publicly denounced a lot of this throughout the years, and it's showing that, no, they clearly knew what was going on, and they're just choosing not to deal with it. So if anything, this should all make you hate Facebook. That's what you do. By the way, if you found this on Facebook, good job. But just to finish like our page on Facebook. Yeah, right. Just to finish off this one article, I do want to say a quote from one former employee of Facebook that said, one of the fundamental reasons I joined Facebook is that I believe in its potential to be a profoundly democratizing force that enables everyone to have an equal civic voice. So having different rules of speech for different people is very troubling to me, which I agree. The next story, which is the one that I think is getting the most press, is that Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, break up the monopoly, aggravates body image issues in as many as one in three teenage girls. And to put this in perspective, in March of 2021, Mark Zuckerberg said in a congressional hearing, quote, the research that we've seen is that using social apps to connect with other people can have positive mental health benefits. That's technically true for some people. However, internal reports from Facebook that the Wall Street Journal found shows almost the exact opposite happening. A 2020 internal slide presentation stated 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel much worse. Among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% of British users and 6% of American users trace the desire to kill themselves to Instagram. Several studies were conducted during an 18-month period called a Teen Mental Health Deep Dive. They found that some issues like anxiety from social comparison is much worse on Instagram than on other social media platforms. And to be honest, I never even thought about this before. But I don't use Instagram. Sure, but (laughs) when I read this report, it actually makes a lot of sense. The study notes that this is because of what Instagram focuses on. TikTok focuses on performance. Like the dances and all their fun pranks and stuff. Yeah, do the Fortnite dances. Yeah. And the, the sing the songs and all that. Another thing I don't use. <laughs> Snapchat keeps focus on the face. I thought it was more on the genitals. Also don't use Snapchat. Instagram focuses on body image and lifestyle. It's more travel, fitness. You actually see people getting photographed by other people so they have full body shots of them. And that's the nature of what Instagram is, getting a full body body shot of you you <laughs> 
I mean, it's that, that doesn't sound that weird. <laughs> yeah, this is out of all of the stories. This is the one that least speaks to me. I I've never a been teenage a teenage girl. girl. I I don't have any children, but I get and I'm too old for any of this to have been going on when I was growing up. So yeah, I, but I think this is what most people think of when they hear about mental health effects from social media stuff like this. And actually, you weren't on this, but like a long time ago, back when we had Dan on the show, we were talking about the social dilemma. This is kind of one of the big premises of that documentary which was how instagram can be so harmful on young people keep your kids off the gram i mean yeah one of the researchers did actually say aspects of instagram actually exacerbate each other to create a perfect storm yikes internal documents as pretty much everything we're going to be talking about in this episode is internal documents show that these studies were presented to facebook executives including zuckerberg so the fact that he just misled congress not only in this recent hearing but in hearings what a couple years ago as well were just complete nonsense and complete lies he knew different of course he still lied right which i i think is illegal many of the teens surveyed stated that they wanted to go on instagram less but didn't have the power to do so the study compared it to an addiction which certainly that's the way all of these apps are designed that's why facebook bought instagram in the first place right because it's highly addictive engagement everybody's got to like your posts you have to like everybody else's posts teen boys aren't immune in the deep dive facebook's researchers conducted into mental health in 2019 they found that 14 percent of boys in the u.s said instagram made them feel worse about themselves in their report on body image in 2020 facebook's researchers found that 40 percent of teen boys experience negative social comparison i am glad i did not have to grow up in the social media age personally yeah me too actually where i mean technically i grew up like with myspace which really didn't do anything and then you had to pick the type of song you wanted to play yeah. when people went to your page well and actually i didn't really care because i didn't have that many friends i cared about but i guess <laughs> the, the whole like top eight drama of myspace got a lot of issue but at the time it didn't really do much and then for me facebook was just kind of starting up so i wasn't really involved with it until like college yeah when i was growing up just having a computer meant you weren't gonna have any friends so <laughs> it really didn't didn't matter what you were doing on the computer so much course these days it's all on their phones now anyway nobody has a computer anymore you know but this is kind of what many people have been worrying about for so long now which is this crazy dependence on these types of platforms that are literally causing significant harm to young generations and i don't want to sound so much like a boomer where it's like oh the tv is gonna rot your brain i mean we're literally finding out that these have severe psychological effects on young people and facebook knows it yeah it used to be bullying and all of the just constant being connected to your schoolmates was the biggest issue but now it's having to compare yourself with paid models that are on instagram right. and not understanding that that's what it is it's all marketing it's all nonsense right well i remember there was also a part in this article we didn't have notes on it where facebook actually tried to have like a snapchat style filter option where you could start doing more selfie stuff and not doing instagram stuff on instagram and it backfired horrendously because when people tried to do the filters it actually were very beauty based anyway so also just made them feel worse yeah never never my entire experience with instagram is being irritated at people taking pictures of their food in restaurants and that's about it see but i would be like okay with that if that was like all it was yeah clearly that's not that's the least of the problems and actually you know what makes me i'm gonna go on a quick tangent i don't mind pictures of food like you go for it you have a good time if you have a good meal from you that's fine i have two issues with that though one i hate when people post crappy meals on social media you know what i'm talking about where they made some like really crappy I, meal or like whatever it is i will never look at a picture of somebody's food they put online <laughs> well fine i'm not talking i'm talking to everyone else then <laughs> like when someone makes like freaking like pancakes and scrambled eggs like look what i made today like i don't care you suck at cooking i don't mind so that one i hate and then the second one is i get so angry when i'm about ready to eat and i get told i can't eat because someone else wants to take a picture of yeah, my food that's that's, that's more of my that makes me angry yep. where if someone else wants to do it on their own time you do it but you don't stop me from my food so you can take a picture <laughs> yeah I, I eat the food i don't need to have a record of it <laughs> 
Which brings us to our third key finding from the Facebook files, how an algorithm change in 2018, which incentivized engagement, led to an increase in spread of disinformation and divisive content. Now, you may have actually heard about this announcement back a couple of years ago. Facebook claimed they wanted to clean up their platform and allow users to engage more with posts that were from friends and family and, you know, people that they actually knew fairly well. And they wanted to move to more original content, quote unquote, instead of content from like publishers or professional studios who would be they wanted to get away from videos right that they felt people were just passively watching and nodding they wanted engagement well and that's something they're talking about on the podcast too where they're talking about how facebook execs were worried that they were turning their users into zombies that were just scrolling and they weren't actually doing anything with the actual app because that's how you keep people invested right and this is when we're talking about the rise of these other things like instagram like snapchat which were getting this engagement and facebook wasn't so they were trying to change the way their platform worked in order to keep people addicted to it, which is what they wanted. Right. And actually, Zuckerberg even said in 2018 when they were going to make this change was it was a sacrifice for the company. From a message to Facebook, he said, quote, now I want to be clear by making these changes. I expect the time people spend on Facebook and some measures of engagement will go down. But I also expect the time you do spend on Facebook will be more valuable. And if we do the right thing, I believe that we will be good for our community and our business over the long term too. And as we said, this was based on a trend that users were engaging less on Facebook. A training presentation showed that comments, likes, and sharing were dramatically decreasing in 2017. And I mean like severely decreasing. And that's something that would spell kind of the end to Facebook being the most popular app. As you stated, there used to be MySpace. Yep. And that's something that everyone keeps predicting is that we're going to move on to the next thing eventually and it was supposed to be twitter for a while and then instagram was becoming popular and then facebook bought it because they're a monopoly then snapchat now tiktok so there is always this risk and honestly kids view facebook as something for old people they do legitimately i've been called old because i still have a facebook that i regularly go on Mm -hmm. so eventually it will happen and facebook being a very powerful rich corporation is doing everything they possibly can to stop that So let's talk about what actually changed in this algorithm. Now, granted, Jason or I are not super techie people that can get too much into this Facebook algorithm stuff, although you're much better than I am, Jason. I'm going to make that very clear. More of a hardware person than software. Sure, but even then, like, I don't know computer (laughs) programming to save my life. So take that with a grain of salt. This is kind of what we're getting from the Facebook Files articles. The algorithm focused mainly on what was called Meaningful Social Interaction, or MSI. Basically, it created a brand new point system, which ranked different types of engagement. For example, likes got one point. Reactions of different kinds like the angry face or the love icon or reshares of the post without text would equal five points. What they considered non-significant comments, which would be like one words like yeah or you go or you know very short comments would equal 15 points. And then significant comments or like long paragraphs of stuff or whatever it may be, messages, reshares or RSVPs for invites would equal 30 points. So the most points that you could get were for people leaving longer comments on your posts. Yes. And then on top of that, additional multipliers were added based on how closely connected you were with the people. So for example, if you had like 500 common friends with this person and he starts engaging a little bit more with your stuff, you're going to see a lot more of their content. And at the end of it all, the posts that get the most points get the most exposure. And I would really recommend looking at the article for this one in the Facebook files. I don't know if you saw this, Jason, but they actually do a really cool breakdown of a post of how a post would get the points that it does. So check that out if you can. So this new algorithm worked. It substantially increased user engagement. It did, and they saw a very quick increase again. However, early internal research showed that while users were engaging more, they were less satisfied with the quality of their content. And let's talk about why specifically. So why would, and we you kind of already hinted at this, why would they actually have lower quality content based on this system? So internal documents, once again, showed that Facebook employees expressed concern that the algorithm change was pushing user 
users toward angrier content. Like the arguments and the angry political rants and stuff like that, I'm guessing. We have a quote from a team of data scientists. Our approach has had unhealthy side effects on important slices of public content, such as politics and news. Exactly. Misinformation, toxicity, and violent content are inordinately prevalent among reshares. Their internal research also showed that European political parties even started changing their policy positions based on the traction of their Facebook posts. Now, this is where it really fascinated me. So in one of the leaked memos, in Poland, one party's social media management team estimates that they have shifted the proportion of their posts from a 50-50 positive-negative split to 80% negative and 20% positive, explicitly as a function of the change to the algorithm. So because that the algorithm actually promoted more negative content, they significantly went to more negative attack ads. What was also interesting is how political groups actually use these algorithms to gain more traction as well. Not only would they switch their messaging, they would switch how they would advertise their message. Other research in Spain showed that harsh attacks grew significantly, so much so that political groups would actually intentionally make attack ads about political opponents and specifically target those opponents' supporters. The reason why is because the more angry reacts and comments those posts got would mean that it would go much further out and get much more exposure than any other posts they would actually make about supporting their own candidate. It got so insane that the percentage of insults and threats on public Facebook pages related to social and political debate in Spain increased by 43% since the algorithm change. And this is something that we see in all media. You see it on news, too. Outrage sells. That's what Tucker Carlson built his entire career on. Sure, I mean, Fox News just in general, too. But the more you can outrage people, the more engaged they are. What I think this was kind of interesting, too. So when you're on Facebook and you see a bunch of outrageous things are happening, pay attention to it. I think there was also a part in the podcast episode where they're talking about comparing posts from two of your friends. We already talked about how you would get more exposure to people that you were connected with, but there were times where engagement and how well you were connected with somebody contradicted or conflicted with each other. So they talked about how like with friend one, you may be like best friends with this person. You may have like 500 um, mutual friends with this individual and have like a lot of the same likes and follows as this friend. But because they post very mundane, boring things, you don't see a lot of their stuff according to this algorithm. Where friend two may be a person that you met from like high school and have never talked since you graduated high school but because he says a lot of crazy potentially racist or harmful rhetoric that gets a lot of angry reacts or love reacts or wow reacts and it gets tons of arguments in the comments section you're much more likely to be constantly exposed to that content instead of your like your best friend who posts like all you, main mundane stuff all you have to think about is any posts that you've seen if you're old people like us and you use facebook Posts that are positive, like say someone posts baby pictures, it's always, oh, how cute. Oh, that's great. Congratulate. It's very short reactions. They want specific, like long paragraphs and Which, discussions. You know, if someone posts that COVID is fake, you might react by saying, I hope you get into a car accident on the way home and the car flips multiple times and the gas tank is punctured and you get trapped inside and then the gas ignites and you burn alive inside your car. That's a much longer engagement and that'll give you a better score on the algorithm. But even more so is that not only will the algorithm take, and this is where I like that breakdown of those posts, is that not only will the algorithm take into account the reactions of the post itself, so like the likes and the angry faces or whatever it may be, but it also takes into account of all the reactions on the comment section itself too. So if like two people get into an argument in the comment section of your post, your post gets boosted because of their argument. I like that they refer to this algorithm as the outrage algorithm in the article because I think that's appropriate. So that's what it basically selects for. Right. And again, the spokesperson of Facebook did say that they're trying to fix this, but it's not making things <laughs> They're not better. going to if it gives them the engagement that they're looking for. No, not at all, because not only are they getting this out of the United States, and we know how bad the United States is and even like the UK, but this is happening all over the world. This is what the data is showing from these reports. There are much more Facebook users outside of the US than there are inside which we're going to talk about quite a bit in 
in the final article. So Facebook is aware that criminal groups are using its platform. They are. And the first story we're going to talk about is a sex slavery ring that is advertising on Facebook to lure women into sexual slavery and indentured servitude. In March of 2018, employees found Instagram profiles, again, Instagram owned by Facebook, dedicated to trafficking domestic servants in Saudi Arabia. An internal memo says that they were allowed to remain on the site because the company's policies, quote, did not acknowledge the violation. We don't have a policy against... entrapping women into indentured servitude and sexual slavery. By looking across Facebook products, the investigation found criminal networks recruiting people from poor countries, mostly in Africa and the third world, coordinating their travel and putting them into domestic servitude or forced sex work in the UAE and other Persian Gulf countries. This investigation was called Op Dubai. Facebook products facilitated each step and the investigators followed communications across platforms to identify perpetrators and victims. And I really liked what the podcast did here, where they kind of followed the story of one particular woman who got involved with this, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was a victim. That's It's just, in the article and the podcast. Yeah. yeah. But I like how, I mean, they actually interviewed her and you can actually hear her speak in the podcast. And she was just trying to get a job as like a house services cleaning. Or- right, and right away, she tried to back out of it and they threatened to basically make her pay off like thousands of dollars which makes no sense she hadn't started working yet right we have to remember that not only does facebook own instagram they also own the messaging the encrypted messaging service whatsapp so when they talk about following this communication across platforms they also have that piece as well that is just another part of the facebook ecosystem. The investigation team identified multiple trafficking groups in operation, including one with at least 20 victims and organizers who spent at least $152,000 on Facebook ads for massage parlors. And these were all based on similar hashtags that these organizations would use. I can't remember what it was. Like body to body yeah, massage. massage or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And now remember, this $152,000 is in U.S. money. And this is just one smaller organization. Right. So imagine how much effort that was put into this by these organizations through Facebook. That's terrifying. And if you found out that your company was facilitating slave trafficking, like legit. Yep. Full report. Wait. Op Dubai, that's the full report. And that is, again, like everything else, an internal Facebook. That's not someone we're going to tell you a story of someone coming to Facebook from the outside, but Op Dubai is an internal Facebook investigation. And they knew about this. And what did they do? Very little. They basically would take down individual posts. Well, that's what they said, right? They took down individual posts, but they didn't do anything systemic to actually stop this from happening again. Which is about to come up once again. In 2019, so only two years ago, the BBC alerted Facebook to an upcoming story that they were about to publish about slave markets they found on Instagram and other apps. Now, this is the second time they found out about this, supposedly. Facebook, again, removed the posts that were identified, but did nothing to stop that type of activity on its platform. Now, Apple was also contacted by the BBC and told that they would be mentioned in the story as allowing access to these apps in its store. And Apple was pissed. After Apple contacted Facebook and threatened to remove all Facebook apps from the Apple store third time they found out about this this was treated as an emergency by facebook who then took the steps to limit the activity including flagging over 300,000 pieces of potentially violating content and launching a new detection system in english and arabic it took three reports on this and it took the threat of actually losing money Signific- from apple significant amount of money yeah, not being in the apple store is huge Right, exactly. So it took Apple literally saying, if you don't do this, we're going to take you off and you're going to lose millions, if not billions of dollars. And they're like, all right, well, now we're going to do something. Because even in the articles, they talked about how internal memos 
was kind of just waved it off when the BBC went to Facebook directly. It was only when Apple approached them and they were furious about it is when Facebook actually did something about they it. They have a memo that, that you can actually see some of. They, they don't include the source documents for these stories, but in this case, they actually show a memo that was entitled the contact from the BBC yeah. and Apple escalation, which is what they considered this, that Apple was escalating the same contact that they got from the BBC, which is true. And it basically said in that memo, did we know about this before we were contacted by the BBC and the Apple escalation? Yes. And it said, yes, we knew about this because of the previous investigations that we did. So they admit 100% internally, at least internally that they already knew about this and they didn't do anything about it until Apple threatened to pull their apps from the Apple store. I think of all the things, this thing infuriated me the most. And speaking of things that should infuriate you, Facebook treats harm in developing countries as, quote, simply the cost of doing business in those places. That is a quote from Brian Boland, a former Facebook vice president who oversaw partnerships with internet providers in Africa and Asia before resigning at the end of last year. Facebook has focused its safety efforts on wealthier markets with powerful governments and media institutions, even as it has turned to poorer countries for user growth. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. In 2019, they discovered a prostitution ring operating out of massage parlors in the U.S. Facebook gave the information to police who made arrests. Facebook discovered a much larger ring that used the site to recruit women from Thailand and in other countries, they were held captive, denied access to food, and forced to perform sex acts in Dubai massage parlors. I think it was like, what, forced to eat lice sometimes too? I think that was some mm-hmm. of the details of that report. It was disgusting. And Facebook removed the posts, but didn't alert local law enforcement. The investigation then also found traffickers bribed local police to look away. So had they actually alerted authorities, not only would they have been alerting them to the fact that there was this large sex trafficking ring, but they would have also found that the police were being paid by the sex trafficking ring. But they didn't do anything, whereas in the United States, then they'll contact local law authorities because they're worried about what could happen if that was found out in the U.S., And in the memos, they talked about how a light touch had to be used when addressing these issues in these types of countries. Are you kidding me? A light touch? And it was all based on because if they made this too public or they were too strong with it, they would lose potential users. That's literally what they said in the memos. Because they're trying to gain a foothold and gain those new users in those areas. So when you talked about it was the cost of doing business, literally people being abducted and stolen to sex slavery is just sometimes what you got to do to make sure you keep you know the balance between how much profit you're going to gain and actually saving lives gotta go water skiing with your mind makeup oh my god it's awful mark zuckerberg is a terrible person and he has facilitated terrible acts around the world with the software that he's created and has lied and misled people according to these memos continuously so that brings us to our finale our conclusion whatever you want to call it what do we do about it what should we do about it what should our u.s government do about it that's the answer reading this series of articles by the reporter Jeff Horwitz and reading all of the terrible things that Facebook is responsible for and then watching interviews of Jeff talking about this Mm -hmm. there's a disconnect there his solutions are always yeah Facebook needs to do better they should really try harder let's hope Facebook gets their act together because he's a reporter for the Wall Street Journal they're not going to say well the problem is actually the profit motive of this company and the way capitalism incentivizes poor behavior as long as you make money and what we really need is more government regulation but that's what we really need here more government regulation the government needs to crack down hard on facebook after these articles have been made public they need to subpoena all of these documents they need to get mark zuckerberg and every other facebook 
executive in front of Congress and they need to rake them over the coals. Yes. They and not, to- not question them. Well, again, that's the other problem too, is that when they actually have these types of hearings, the people are so old and out of touch. They have no idea what they're talking about. And they need to create lots of new laws that regulate the things that these tech companies can do. That's something that right now, I guess, both Republicans and Democrats should be able to agree on, right? I mean, technically, but even then, they agree for very different reasons. I don't care as long as they agree. You can throw some free speech stuff in there while you're at it. I don't care. And we need to break up Facebook. They don't need to own an entire ecosystem of applications that drug cartels and Mexican hitmen can use to communicate and publish all of their recruiting and training. We need to completely destroy that monopoly that Facebook has on social media at the moment. And it goes back to the question. I mean, I know, I think I know what my answer would be, but do we try to make this some kind of public utility instead? Do we even trust Facebook to a private company who we now have seen over and over and over again, especially right now, they will do what's in the interest of their shareholders and to increase their stock market price instead of doing the right thing. Do we try to have the government take over Facebook? Or at least certainly the Facebook portion of Facebook. Right. Because now there are lots of, lots of issues with that because Facebook is a global company. You can't just have one government take it over. But something has to be done. This is outrageous and unacceptable. And I'm sure if you dig into just about every industry, you'll find something similar with, I mean, Facebook makes on just Instagram alone, a hundred billion dollars a year. That should show you the kind of power they have. This is not just somebody in their basement doing coding. Right. Well, that's a good point too. We should also make this very clear. Although again, I don't think this is a very surprising revelation. Facebook has more than enough power and resources to do and fix all of these issues easily. They clearly do. They hire insanely intelligent people, loads of them all around the world. They have billions and billions and billions of dollars at their disposal to fix these issues. And it's not the fact that they can't do it. They won't. They don't have a motive. No. And even when Mark Zuckerberg says he's going to sacrifice to make the platform better, he's lying to you. And he needs to be held accountable. Can you make a digital guillotine? So find us on Facebook and <laughs> <laughs> like, share, and comment. Well, and I think we should talk about that as well, where it's how Facebook is so integrated in our society nowadays. What do you even do? I mean, even right now, we're going to promote our podcast on Facebook. That's the only place my mom will see it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm kidding. My mom doesn't use Facebook. Good for her. She's too old for that. <laughs> Good, good for her. <laughs> so I, I don't know what to do. Government action has to be something. They need to get involved. They need to know what's going on with this. We need more younger people in government so they know and are more in touch with what's going on. We are clearly not ready to handle such a big issue. And clearly, Facebook is not ready to handle such big issues that are on their table right now. Someone needs to do something. Break up Facebook. And the tech industry in general just needs much more heavy regulation than they're currently under. So I think to finish this out... You really, really, really should go check out these articles and podcast series. The articles are behind a paywall because, you know, it's the Wall Street Journal. If you're savvy enough, you can find a way around it. <laughs> but if you don't want to do that, listen to their podcast series on it. You don't have to listen to the whole episode. Don't become a fan of it right away because it's still the Wall Street Journal. But seriously, some of this reporting is some of the best I've ever seen, especially coming from out of their organization. So please do it. It's eye-opening. I highly recommend it. Don't pay for it. Google, how do I read the Wall Street Journal for free you'll figure it out (laughs) perfect great and find it on facebook thank you for listening we hope to see you in the next episode you can find us on facebook and twitter at thinkpropod you can email us at thinkpropod at gmail.com and remember when in doubt think progressively And technically, I think this is 51 because we had an episode zero. No, no, no. no. We didn't count that. Reducing the dosage to make sure that kids can have it without actually going and becoming super bad. What? Misinformation, toxicity, and violent content are in it are inordinately prevalent. Prevalent. Ha ha ha. Misinformation. Thank you. <laughs> 
Boop, boop.